We do not follow man-made fancy or fable, but the word of the living God. He alone has claim to our hearts and allegiances. Let us heed him as he speaks from his word. Our scripture lesson today is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of our Lord. Pray with me. God and Father, Lord of life, as we come to your word, where you speak life to us, I pray that our hearts would be open, that we would be attentive and hear, and find comfort. Pray that you would be with all of us sinners as we sit under your word, and be with me, a sinner, as I preach it. Pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is it, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and... Um, in many ways, it's interesting. I um, actually write sermons about a week ahead of time, which is not what everybody who preaches does. But So there are times that, like this one, where a sermon gets done, and then the events of the next few days really make me realize how much I needed that. Um, and I needed that because here, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, we've been working through what Jesus tries to remind us of, and something that I feel like I've been really mindful of, since then, is that the storm will come, that the rain will fall and the streams will rise and the wind will beat on the house and the storm will come. One of the things that's common to basically all of us as human beings, I think, is that we want to build our lives on the assumption of never-ending sunny days. We make our choices thinking that things will always be this good, if not maybe even better, we buy a fantasy that life is always going to be sunny with a high of 75, even when you see the storm clouds on the horizon and feel the first drops of rain, you just say it's just a passing little shower and things are going to be good again tomorrow. Sometimes it just isn't the case, right? Some of you know that. You're in the middle of a storm right now. That loss or disease or death has crept up on you suddenly, like lightning out of the black, and it feels like it's cut the tree of your life in two where the weight of the stresses and demands and debts of life have just built up like the floodwaters, and they're now about to wash over the sandbags and into your house. The storm will come, Jesus says, that in this life it will come to all of us eventually. We spend so much of our time and our energy imagining that it's never going to be true, but we live in a world which at different points is going to break each of our hearts. 
I talk to those of you who are older, who are in your 70s and 80s, and you know that, right? Um, That's not something that, that anyone I know in that stage of life is in doubt about, that there will be heartbreak and loss in life. Some of us who are younger um, like to pretend for seasons like that's not the case. That doesn't change the fact either that the storm's going to come. Scripture insists that even if we somehow manage to avoid the storms in this life, right, there's still a storm at the end of it in the end as well. And at the end of every one of our stories, according to the Bible, is death and a reckoning a judgment in a sense that's often pictured as a storm, a hurricane that sweeps across the land, testing all that is in its path to see what stands. And that that storm isn't arbitrary or just destructive, but rather it's meant sort of like the storm that Jesus pictures in this text to be a showing forth of what is true and what is not. The Apostle Paul uses a different picture for that storm at the end of it all. He uses one of fire. He says in 1 Corinthians three twelve through 13, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one of us has done. And really, that is exactly what the other storms do, too. They show forth what is really true of us and our world. That's the idea for Jesus in this text, that the storm will come, he says, one way or another, maybe tomorrow, maybe years from now, maybe not until the end, but that it will come, and when it comes, he asks, will what we build endure? Will what we've built endure? Will our faith endure? And our hope survive. Right? In this picture, he pictures two men in this parable. They're both building houses. And one of them, he digs down and he's sweating and straining through the sand and the loam and the clay until he hits rock. And then he anchors his house there. And the other guy says, forget all of that. Life is fine. It's always going to be sunny. I'll just build my house on the topsoil and not worry about it. And at first, that works. Maybe even for years, right? Jesus doesn't say how long both of those houses stand, and when you pass them on the street, nobody can tell the difference. Both of them looked the same, and the foolish man probably felt pretty great because he got the same outcome and spent so much less effort. What a clever architect. But of course, the storm does come, and it strikes them both, and at the end of it, one house is still standing, and the other one is collapsed. All of which is a grim place to start, our final reflection on this Sermon on the Mount, I know. But it's also crucially important. Like we said, it's easy for us to live assuming only sunny days ahead, but that just isn't the story that we are in in this world. We all live in a hurricane zone, and it's not always going to be sunny. It's just the reality of being broken and sinful in a broken and sinful world. And the question Jesus then leaves us with is, are you ready? Are you ready for this storm? It's like, it's like marriage, right? Um, I think about standing up at the altar, you know, with, with my wife nine and a half years ago. And I took these vows to have and to hold for better or for worse, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health. And I, and probably none of the rest of us, had any clue what we were really promising at that moment, right? For a while, after that, things were sunny and easy, 
And sure, there are little challenges working on communication or being tired or whatever, but those are the kinds of things that you work through in an evening, and then you feel pretty good. And in those moments, you feel like you've nailed it. Like marriage is a piece of cake, and you really don't see what the big deal is. I certainly remember feeling that way at times, that this is pretty smooth sailing, and I must be really getting this husband thing down. But it doesn't last, right? Things always get hard for everyone. You realize that in sickness doesn't just mean when you have a cold. For poor doesn't have an exception clause for being really poor and debt over your eyeballs. And that for worse is a lot worse than you guessed as a smiling 20-something. And you're suddenly forced to confront the reality that your spouse is a sinner, or that you are, or that there are other attractive people in the world, or that sometimes happily ever after is actually not nearly as happy as you thought. And it's in that moment that you have to ask what all of that is built on. And what Jesus is saying in the same way is that that reality of, that's true for marriage is true for life. That there's a for sick and for poor and for worse that is going to meet us in our lives. And Jesus is telling us that just like in that moment, even though we didn't have a clue what we were getting into, those moments are going to be the tests of our whole lives, of our faith and our character and our commitment. They're tested to see whether they're going to last. So that is a hard truth. So what do we do with that then? What kind of faith is going to endure that kind of heavy storm that will come? What kind of faith? Well, that's the good news in the midst of the bad. Jesus answers us. He doesn't just tell us that things are going to be hard. Good luck, suckers. He um, instead pictures for us what it looks like to live a life prepared for the storms, a life that's ready when they come. And in this story, he reminds us that when the storm comes, what matters is not the nice siding or the gabled roof or the the energy-efficient windows in your house. What matters is its foundation, what you've built it on. And that foundation, Jesus tells us, come down, comes down to a couple of things. A couple of layers, I guess, that you kind of dig down through to see where it rests. That that foundation, for our faith to survive, it needs to have a foundation in our lives. It needs to have a foundation in our hearts. And it needs to have a foundation in Jesus. It's like you're digging down deeper for each of those things in our lives, in our hearts, and in Jesus. First, Jesus is calling us to have a faith that has a foundation in our lives. That to weather life storms, we need a faith in God that is more than just words, more than just empty platitudes. It needs to find expression in how we live. So if you look at verse 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. That's the key contrast, right? When you look at verse 26, he contrasts it with someone who also hears these words of mine, but does not put them into practice. He's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, the difference is not what these two people hear, right? That's important. It's not, it's not what they know. Both builders know what Jesus is calling them to do, but one of them leaves it just at that level of knowledge well, as the other one seeks to live it out in their lives, putting it into action somehow actually roots it in a way that endures. Our constant calling as Christians is not just to say some stuff about Jesus, but to truly believe it in a way that spills out into our lives. 
The book of James puts it this way, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he is like. I love that image. James pictures the Bible as a mirror. He says you look in it and it shows you yourself, including all of your imperfections and sins. You look in it, he says, but looking isn't enough. It's like you don't just look in a mirror and say, in the morning, and say, oh, my hair's a mess, and I've got this thing in between my teeth. Cool, glad that's taken care of, and walk out the door without fixing it, right? That, that for a mirror to serve its purpose, we are to look in it and get that little thing out from between our teeth before we look away. James is picturing something that all of us can do, that I can do. You can read a Bible verse or hear a sermon and think, that's really good. I agree. And then walk away unchanged. James is saying, if you're just doing that, you've missed the point. This is the idea for Jesus as well. He's saying that Christianity, this faith he's been teaching for the last three chapters, it's meant to be lived. It's It's not just a theory of life that we kind of agree with. It's meant to be lived. And the reason faith hasn't been expressed in action won't last is simple. Because, according to Scripture, that isn't real faith at all. As the book of James puts it a little later, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Which is to say, it's dead. It's not true living faith at all. Which might, might sound challenging, but think about that. We all know the difference between talking the talk and walking the walk, right? Think about, think about the idea of loving someone. What does it mean to love someone? It means, I hear, to spend time with them, to learn about them, to do things for them, that you take them on dates and buy them stuff. And that's the difference between love and those crushes that you had in junior high school, right? You remember those when you never spoke to the person or had any interactions with them or spent any time with them? You just made moon eyes at them across the school cafeteria? Well, I suppose that those crushes can turn into love eventually if they're put into action. Left like that, they just evaporate. They disappear. And the reason is that you aren't actually doing anything. It's just up here and in here, not out there. It's not dealing with this actual person. You're in, you're in love with the idea of being in love with this person, right? Not with the person themselves. Likewise, a faith that doesn't result in living out isn't loving Jesus. At best, it's having a junior high crush on him. It's making moon eyes at him across the sanctuary, being in love with the idea of him. And as sweet as that may seem, when things get tough and the storms of life arise, that is going to evaporate just as quickly as your fondness for that classmate in eighth grade because it's never found expression in action. So this is the first reason we can be unprepared for life's storms, because our faith hasn't developed the legs to get us through them. It's just lip service, just theory. So the first thing we need to ask as we think about whether we're ready when the storms of life come is whether we're seeking to practice what we're preaching. It's easy to talk the Christian talk on the outside, right? To talk about God and how good he is and Jesus and how great he is. But the test of those words are when everything goes south. Is God's goodness something that we've learned to experience? 
Or is it something we simply talk about without having tasted it? Is Jesus someone we're actually walking with and who's walking with us? Because if not, saying those things just aren't going to do us any good. If we aren't actually living out our faith, we shouldn't be surprised if it's not the help that we would like it to be in those dark times. It's like every winter I buy all this stuff for cold-proofing our house, right? Basically every winter, because I always think, man, like, energy efficiency and keeping warm, like, that sounds pretty good. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the plastic stuff that goes over the windows and things. And um, I buy it every winter, and probably less than half the time does it ever actually get up. Um, (laughs) We were, when we moved six months ago, I found two full years' worth of um, winter-proofing things on the top, like, back of a shelf in my office. And, um... And the point of that is that just having that stuff, right, just buying it, didn't do me any good. When the winter came, I wasn't saving energy simply because I had purchased the weather-saving things. I would have had to have put it up in order for it to do any good. And the same is true of faith. It can be a powerful support when life storms come, but only if it's something we've started to put in place when things are sunny. That if we're walking with God, if we're deep in his word, if we are people of prayer and faithfulness, those things are beautiful supports when the rain falls and the wind blows. They can help us keep our house secure. So that's the first layer of the foundation, rooting Christianity in our lives instead of just in our profession, to obeying Christ and following him instead of just paying lip service to him. But just leaving it there doesn't get at all of what Jesus is saying. Dig a little deeper And the difference isn't just in our lives, but in our hearts. To survive life's storms, we need a foundation buried down into our hearts. The whole image of a foundation, right, is one of something that lies beneath the surface, that you can't see. Indeed, viewed from another angle, the difference between the two men is that one of them has a foundation and one of them doesn't. If you look at verse 25, we're told of the first house, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. In the second, though, in verse 27, no foundation is even mentioned. It's not that it had a foundation on the sand. It's that there was no foundation at all. Do you see that? It's just sitting there with nothing deeper than the floorboards, and then it falls with a great crash. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' key points is that righteousness and obedience and faith are not just things we do. They are meant to be external expressions of internal realities, things that we are. Our hearts should be shaped by God in such a way that our actions flow out of them. To have a heart ruled by sin while you're trying to be outwardly holy is not true holiness. And this is really the the kind of thing that goes along with what we just said. So Christianity can't just stay up here, right? It's meant to flow out in what we do. But at the same time, Christianity can't just be a thing that we do if it's not something that we are, right? As much as it's bad to talk the talk without walking the walk, it's also bad to walk the walk for a season when you haven't made it your true path. You can still kind of keep up outward appearances without actually having it be true of you. In Christianity, inward faith drives us to outward actions. Not not just inward faith like knowing the facts, head stuff, but inward faith that is rooted in our hearts, that our lives should stem from deep places within us, from who we are and who we are becoming, places shaped by the Spirit and by Christ's work. And so a faith that endures 
is one that we let grow down into us, down into our hearts, like the foundation of a house, that it's rooted on something within us that gives it legs. That corrects an error I think we sometimes make when it comes to holiness. We can too often treat our struggle against sin as something that's just external, that we lose our tempers or have poor impulse control or make a bad decision, and we think that all we need to do is to be more rigorous with our obedience. We need more self-control and discipline. And that is half true, all right? Half of holiness is going to be about striving and self-control and discipline. You don't grow more like Jesus lackadaisically. You don't slouch your way towards righteousness. But that's only half. And honestly, it's the half that has to come second. Because if that self-control and discipline is going to work, you have to start addressing what's going on in your heart. You have to grow to recognize and deal with issues in here before you're going to have much luck out here. I mean, I think about a guy I knew years ago who had, um, he was, he was a great guy, but he, he was kind of harsh and super unemotional, right? Like Mr. Spock levels of unemotional, which was fine with me, but was a problem for him because he was trying to get girls to date him, and they did not seem <laughs> particularly fans of that. And one night, a few of us were sitting around, um, and we were talking about some hard stuff that had happened in a few of our stories. And this guy, who's not, who's not the guy who shares things normally, out of the blue, he butts in, and he starts telling us about um, his father, who was this, like, extremely abusive alcoholic that, I mean, for years and years would beat him and threaten him, and growing up in this really terrifying and unsafe environment. And then he said, so yeah, I've had it rough too, but it's not a big deal. I've just gotten over it. But of course, all of us sitting around were thinking, brother, you haven't gotten over it. Like, that thing, in so many ways, is the thing you're going to have to wrestle with if you want to try to solve these presenting problems that you're talking about. And he's, over the years, started to recognize that and started to find healing in those ways. But the hard truth for him, and for all of us, because there's a sense in which I think all of us can do that, is that we can't expect to fix our issues on the outside without confronting the stuff that's in our hearts. In many ways, that's the first step for all of us, recognizing that we're not fine. As we've said before, one of the reasons we like to keep holiness external is that making it internal feels like it's something we just can't do. I can kind of keep up appearances, but when I look inside, I recognize my failings. And that's part of the point. We're going to get to that in just a second, all right? But look, the thing is, you can't actually keep it external and expect it to last either. Not in a real way. That either the storms will come and it's all going to fall apart, or at best, the winds are going to blow and they're going to erode that mask until all that's left is something that's brittle and self-righteous and ugly. If your righteousness is only external, it's always going to be much less true and much less beautiful than the righteousness Jesus calls us to that springs from the heart. And that really brings us to the root of the matter, which is that to weather life's storms, We need a foundation in Jesus. We need a foundation in Jesus. Up to now, talking about something that's in our lives, something that's in our hearts, we're talking about the the foundation itself, right? But that's not really the core point of Jesus' story. The core point of Jesus' story is the rock, the thing that the house is built on. And over and over in Scripture, the image of a rock is used to speak of Jesus. So 1 Peter 2.4, 
where it said, coming to him, to Jesus, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. We're talking about Jesus as the foundation of our lives, like in 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Those two images come together in this prophecy from Isaiah that's one of the most quoted texts in the entire New Testament, where Isaiah says, So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. A cornerstone is what they used back in the day when they were building houses, um, when they were building a foundation before they could just pour concrete in. They, what they do is they'd have to lay it block by block, right? And this is before like bricks. These were uneven blocks. And they would take one block that's carefully cut and lay it in one corner of the foundation and from that block, the whole rest of the house was built and provided the first piece and the point of reference. And Isaiah says that Jesus is to be for us like that. So that's the ultimate question for us. Have you built your house on Jesus? Have I built my house on Jesus or on some created thing? Because if it's on something other than Jesus, it's not going to weather the storm. Now, we have to be careful when we say that kind of thing, because on the face of it, that's something that most of us here would agree with at church. We've all been trained as church-going folk to hear, build your house on Jesus, and to give these kind of pious nods, and to mumble, yes, amen, Jesus, and then to go and slap our Jesus is the answer bumper stickers on our car and say, praise the Lord, but not have had it actually affect us at all. Think again about that image of a cornerstone. The idea it's getting at is that that stone is the one stone that, in a sense, gives a building its identity. Ancient architects would measure everything from it. The mason drags up a brick, and the architect looks at his plans, and he says, that block goes ten stones to the east and two up from the cornerstone, and that's how they knew where to place it. And they count off and slide it in, and voila, it fits. That image is meant to say two things to us. First, it says that Jesus is, he's, we're supposed to make him the, the starting place for identity, right? The starting place for it. He's the thing that we're measuring from. The idea is that if you measure from Jesus, the block is going to fit where you try to place it. But if you don't, if you try to calculate using those same instructions from some other brick, it's not going to fit. And if you build a wall that way, that when the wind comes, it's going to fall down. At the same time, it's also saying that Jesus is the resting place for our identity, the resting place, that you could tear down the whole building, you could rip away every other stone, but as long as the cornerstone is there, then the architect knows how to rebuild it. But if it's gone as well, then you're kind of at a loss. All of us pick certain things in our lives to serve those two functions, to be our starting place and our resting place. We say, this thing, this thing defines who I am. It's the point from which everything is measured and finds its place. It's the thing that even if everything else is gone, as long as I still have it, I'm going to be all right. I trust in it. We all do that. And importantly, we all do that with good things, all right? 
It's a good thing that we try to do that with usually. It's our spouse or our kids. It's our health or our looks. It's our achievements or our good works. We make that thing the fixed point around which everything else finds its place in the world. So what is that thing for you? What is it for me? I have to spend time often reflecting on that. What's the thing that I hold as most important? Right? Not just as good or important. All of those things are good or important, but as most important. What do I have the most dreams about? What do I have the most nightmares about losing? Because here's the hard reality for all of us. If that thing isn't Jesus, when the storm comes, there isn't a guarantee that it's going to hold. If any of those things is your resting place, you're not going to reach ultimate rest. Right? All of those things can be fleeting and frail. Your spouse can fail you. Or they can die. Children can wander. Health will fail eventually, right? And looks will fade for some of us faster than others. That, that achievements are going to fall apart and someday be forgotten. Good works can be washed away by just one or two bad decisions. And even if they don't fail you now, they keep you from finding true peace because they can fail. And we all deep down know that. And so even if they seem secure for the present, we're forced to live in fear in a lot of ways for what the future might hold. And likewise, if any of those things is your starting place, the house is just not going to fit together the way that it should. It won't. The blocks will have gaps or bump up against each other. Because they just don't fit without Christ at the center. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, but take something as simple as your spouse and your children, right? Have you ever noticed that, um, that they don't really naturally fit together? I mean, they do in a biological sense, right? But, but, but that they actually create this stress and tension between each other, that you feel like one of them is taking time and attention away from the other, and that you've got these demands pulling you in two directions, and you feel torn, that's just two of those things. Trying to make all of the blocks of life fit together is even harder. What Jesus calls us to is to make him the cornerstone, to plant him at the central place in our hearts and lives. Because in following him, those things that don't seem to fit suddenly start to find their place. And because he cannot fail, even if every worldly thing is stripped away, that Jesus will endure. Now look, I say all of that, and I'm still afraid it sounds like hollow, pious talk. Saying that Jesus, in Jesus we have a foundation that will endure, does not mean that the storms won't still be storms. That life won't be brutal, and the waves won't be high. In fact, like we said at the beginning, Jesus promises that they're going to be. I think about some of the ways that the winds have whipped us, um, Elizabeth and I, in my life. And um, what I do not want you to hear is some lie that because we have Jesus, we feel great all the time. Because we don't. As we wrestle with questions about her health and the future, there's plenty of tears and plenty of uncertainty. I won't tell you that Jesus makes it fine or easy, but I will say that as near as I can tell, he's by far the best thing that we've got going for us. That if my ultimate hope is in my wife, then I know all too well in this season that that hope could disappear. And if it's in me, 
it's probably even worse because I struggle to get my pants on in the morning, right? But if it's in Jesus, if it's in Jesus, while life is hard, we do have a place to fly in the present. We have hope in his throne where he reigns today and in his embrace. And we have a hope that endures into the future. Hope that he will sustain us no matter what comes and be beside us and ultimately hope in a resurrection and a God who dries all of our tears. And that's what all of us are called into by Jesus' words this morning. To make Jesus not just some topic of conversation on a Sunday morning, but to offer our lives to him, to give our hearts to him, to sink our foundations down into him, and so to have a lasting hope against life's storms. That the winds will come, the rain will fall, things will be hard, but that in Jesus there is hope in life after all of them. So let's find that in him. Amen. Pray with me. God and Father, I just pray this for myself, Lord, that I might grow deeper, be more rooted in you. I pray this for my brothers and sisters here this morning, that you would um, just be near to them, be a strong support and encouragement to them, that they might seek and find in you hope and comfort and something that lasts, even as the winds beat. Pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ who is our true and lasting hope. Amen.